welcome to Novel Finds Podcast, the podcast where we talk about your favorite books, our favorite books, and everything in between. Hi, I'm Julia, and I am so excited to be talking with Kika Hatsupulu about her new book, Threads That Bind. It is so amazing, and I cannot wait to get into it. Hi, Kika. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. Oh, I am thrilled that you're here. One, well, I mean, I saw the book when it came into our email and it is just gorgeous. Like the cover of it is so pretty and I love Greek mythology and I've been on like a real mythology kick lately. And so I was like, yeah, let's do it. And then like the book is so good. It is so good. The mystery. Oh, it's it's great. Um, I'm so happy to hear that. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, I hope that everyone loves it that reads it because I certainly did. And I texted my co-host about it and was like, you have to read it. Um, it's just it's it's great. Oh. Um, so can you give us a small synopsis about the book and maybe tell us a bit about yourself? Yeah. Um, so Threads with Bind is my debut YA fantasy noir. It's about a girl with the powers of the Greek fates that works as a detective and sees charts to uh, solve a series of very strange otherworldly murders. And uh, there's a, a fated a soulmate romance. Um, there's uh, sister dynamics. There's lots of uh, different um, descendants of uh, Greek gods and uh, world mythology gods and uh, it's all set in the equally seems like the apocalyptic um, setting. The rest of the question was about me. Okay, so I'm a native Greek. I've been writing in English for most of my life. I did my MFA in New York in creative writing and I've held um, teaching and publishing positions in the past and I, I write fantasy. I love fantasy both as a, an author and a reader. Oh, me too. What made you choose New York? It was at the time one of the few that offered, one of the few programs that offered writing for children. And I always knew that's what I wanted to do. So I chose that and I was lucky enough to get a, a scholarship. So that was it. It was a great time in my life, uh, very young. Basically, all I had to do every day was read and write. It was a great two years. And what a life. Yeah, it was a good two years. Oh my uh, gosh, yeah. I'm very excited to be going back. It's my first time going back in eight years. And I have an event there. I'm going to go to all the bookstores that I used to visit as a student and see my book there. It's very exciting. It's a full circle moment. Oh, yeah, that's so surreal too. Like going there when you yeah. were in school to then, are you going to like secretly sign all of the books? Yes. Well, secretly and openly. Uh, secretly in that they, they do know that you are yeah. signing all of yes. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that's going to be great. With this, it's, I mean, it's your debut. How did you decide which gods to choose and include in the book? I mean, there's so many in Greek mythology. There's so many different characters. How did you choose? It started, I think, rather organically from my fascination with the Greek fates. I've been wanting to write a book about that centered the Greek fates for a very long time. Naturally, my mind went to, okay, we're going to talk about sisters. We're going to 
talk about sisterhood. And then I thought, because the Greek pantheon and secondary mm-hmm. gods are so, so very many, and lots of them have been talked about in various media in the past. I thought, what if the entire world centers on just sibling gods? So I chose sibling gods from Greek mythology and then did a lot of research to expand that to world mythology. I took some liberties, but most of it is narrowed down to just siblings. I mean, that's awesome, though. So if you were otherborn, which in your book is is the people that have um, descended from the Greek pantheon, who would you want to be descended from? Oh, I love this question. It's one of my favorite. I think I would want to be a Miraborn, like um, Ayo, the main character. Miraborn is like the Greek words. Mira is the Greek words for mm-hmm. the Greek word for fate, and uh, be able to manipulate the fates and like cut them or uh, weave them or elongate them. Or I would want to be an Eratosborn. You haven't met them yet in book one, but you, there's a central character in book two that's a, an Eratosborn, and um, Eretus is the Greek word for like Cupid or like love. In Greek mythology, there were five kind of Cupids and they are each centered on a different kind of love. And the one in yeah. book two, he's the, um, the god of longing. And I want to be him. He kind of controls and manipulates emotions that already exist. He doesn't create them. Um, but yeah, I find very, what would you want to be? Um, I mean, I think I would probably want to be one of the dream ones. I I like the idea of um like Io's best friend, her powers of like getting people to sleep and then like they they're able to walk in their dreams, right? Like that that seems so interesting to me. I've always been interested in lucid dreaming. And so yeah. it's just like, oh, having a power like that, I think would be so cool. That was but then like, yeah, yeah. And the the like dreaming house that they end up going into at one point was so interesting. I was, I, it, it had such a different feel than really what I was expecting it to have. Okay, okay. It was but like, it was a, great. A luxury dreaming, a luxury sleeping experience. That's what I wanted. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I loved it. I was like, they're offering her different pajamas <laughs> and just like different types of beds to sleep on. It just, it's, that sounds great. I would go to right. one of those and be like, Let's, I just want a really nice nap. Yes, a very nice long nap. Yes, with 100%. Yeah. <laughs> um. So as you were writing... Who was your favorite character to write? And is this one the one that you relate to the most? Um, They are different. <laughs> I relate to Ayo the most. I think I gave her a lot of my innate self and her anxieties and her fears and her guilt mm-hmm. and her very like hyper fixated infatuations with things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my actual secret favorite character is Bianca Rossi, who <gasps> is... Uh, the mob queen of the silts is kind of a mysterious, very volatile, kind of violent character, but also very clever. And she was a joy to write because um, a lot of the time in her reactions and her dialogue and in her violence, she surprised me. She didn't behave mm-hmm. the way 
I wanted her to, but then she took things in a different direction. She was, I really loved her. And I, well, I'm not going to spoil. I know. There's so many things I want to say. I'm just, she was very cool. She was very cool. I get Um, more of her. That was very interesting for me. I'm definitely looking forward to the sequel where we see more of her and Io's interactions just because it's like oil and water. Yes, yes. I love that. It was one of my favorite things to work on uh, book two. Mm-hmm. And her powers too. Those I thought were terrifying. <laughs> yes, they were. Do you have a favorite uh, among the characters? I really liked Edie. I thought he was just so nice and sweet yeah. and and he just I mean he was such a good friend and he very capable person like yeah. was very happy with the level of relationship that he had with Io he wasn't like pushing toward anything he was just he was working a case getting to know this this lovely person that he has wanted to know for a while and and just kind of, I thought it was so sweet. I liked, I liked him a lot. Yeah, he's a good boy. He's a very mm-hmm. good boy. Yeah, yeah. And then on the flip side, though, Thais, she was very interesting. I'm she, glad you she that. was very, very interesting. Well, because I mean, going, seeing the story of like going from nothing and now you're at the top, like it's so. I loved seeing how she interacted and I definitely like I would connect with Io in her relationship with her oldest sister because I was just I could see it I was I understood everything and then just all of the stuff that happened I I figured I figured it out not like not too long before it was revealed but I was like (gasps) what if and, yeah. and then I was right. I was so excited. Yeah, yeah. Thais was an interesting one to write. I wanted her to be relatable, but also, you know, what she turns out to be. But mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of complexity in people. And I think oh, yeah. Thais is a good example of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. Um, okay, so this is a fun question because there's like, I mean, they're not exactly cute. In in your book, the the how do you chimerini? Yes, that's how I say. It. Um, just like tiny chimeras, which yeah. were adore. Like I love the idea of just tiny chimeras walking up to you. Um, yours were terrifying, but if a really cute one came up to you, <laughs> what would it be? Yeah, uh, I love that question. <laughs> I guess it doesn't have to be cute. If you wanted a Chimerini to walk up to you, what would you want it to be? I think in general, anything that was a cross of pets, like a cat Mm -hmm. dog or a cat rabbit, uh, that would be cute. But in in the world, the uh, one of the very few nice Chimerini I have is uh, uh, Chimerini in the second book, the sequel. Uh, That's a cross between a firefly and a moth. And oh. it's called a fire moth, I think. Yeah, a fire moth. And they uh, glimmer like neon blue when they fly. And that was a cute thing to write. But overall, they're terrifying and uh, kind of hungry for human meat. They really are. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the the fighting rings that 
you have with them are are they were terrifying. I was picturing it. I was just like, I do not want to be anywhere near that. I don't, oh, especially that scorpion one. Yes. Fun mm-hmm. fact. Uh, I don't think I've mentioned this ever before, but the Chimerini in the cover, they weren't originally in the book. There were different kinds in this uh, fighting pit scene. But then uh, Corey Brickley, the artist, came up with this uh, art. And I was like, oh, no, no, I have to change it because this is perfect. And I kind of changed the cross of the hybrids of the Chimerini appearing in that scene to match the cover. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. That is so cool. They did an excellent job. It's cover. What a wonderful collaboration, too. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any favorite lines or sections like in this book? I do. My favorite line is a is a huge spoiler. Um, okay, it's the last line of chapter thirty, which is um, after the big sequence and the big okay, sequence. and I can't say it, but that's no, my favorite line. All right, all right. So people will be like, okay, chapter thirty. That's her yeah. favorite line. Yeah, and it's a it's a very silly line. It's not like anything big, but I it's a very simple metaphor, and I I like. Pat myself mm-hmm. on the back from for coming up with it, mm-hmm. um, but then I love. I also love the um, sequence where I and Eddie go to the nine, and uh, because it's so suspenseful, and there's the reveal of the prophecy, and I loved writing that. Mm-hmm. And I also really love the conversation between I and Eddie at the second half of chapter twenty-seven. Maybe it's a very sweet moment, and. Um, it's one of the few moments that came, well, a book naturally goes through many edits and drafts, mm-hmm. but this one came at the very, very last draft, the very last moment. And I like it uh, because it's a, like a theme statement for the entire book. It kind of encapsulates everything that I would hope a reader takes away from the book. I can share this one if I can. Yeah, sure. So I think it's like, um, you know, um, no, Eddie asks Ayo, uh, what kind of person are you when you love someone who is cruel? And Ayo answers, you're someone who loves. That's all. That's the only part that uh, is yours to give and yours to take away. And that was my, that's one of my favorite lines. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's not, it's not their fault that the person is cruel. But it's, it's usually... We have a hard time forgiving ourselves for mm-hmm. the actions or betrayals of people we love. And I think it's a good lesson. As you grow, it's a good lesson to learn that you're not responsible. Love yeah. is great in the world. I particularly enjoyed, um, I mean, I enjoyed the whole book. But one of the scenes that really stuck out to me was the half-sunken theater that Io goes in in the very beginning. Yeah. I was like, ooh, because I just I I do children's theater. And so then whenever like theaters are brought up in books, I get very excited about it. Okay. So I'm just like, ooh, someone else that really likes it. Um this one is it's, just relic, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. It I mean just the imagery of the moons and just it's a quiet space and it she kind of thinks of it very reverently and i just i enjoyed that so much she loves that yeah it's yeah. I think 
threads in the book. I think it's been cut, but one of her threads that connects her to things she loves connects her mm-hmm. to this place. And there's a big backstory with her father taking her there. I don't think it's in the oh. book any longer, but it exists in my mind and in the world. Yeah. Well, I think that's just so lovely, though, too, because Io, being the cutter of of the three sisters, she just she loves so freely. She just she has so many different connections to things. And I mean, I I connected with that, too, because I'm just like, oh, yeah, I mean, I've had this one thing once and suddenly it's like my favorite thing ever and I've loved it forever. Like if someone asked me, oh, hey, have you ever had X, Y or Z? I'm like, oh, yeah, I loved this. And it's just it's it's very um, like I don't want to say that there's a naivety to it, but it's very pure Mm -hmm. to just like love something. I think especially when you're a teen, you love things very quickly and they stay with you for a very long time, mm-hmm. probably forever. Yes, mm-hmm. it's, I think it's one of the nicest things about her character and yours too, apparently. Yeah, I think I, yeah. it's just it's so great. Yeah. Um, okay, so when you started the process for Threads That Bind, what really kind of came first to you in terms of the story? The first the very first inkling was an image, um, an image of a girl standing on a rooftop while um, the streets and the world around her flooded, and she was holding a silver thread in her hands. And I sat with that image for a long time. It basically became what uh, you mentioned in chapter one with the theater scene. It became that scene. And then um, I wrote the world around that image so I've been wanting to write a detective and uh, a story centering the Greek fates for a long time so I thought oh this is a cool place to connect combine the two mm-hmm. and then I also incorporated some of the um, post-apocalyptic like climate apocalypse um, elements that uh, we're going to talk about later uh, in the floods that <clears throat> Flood the entire city. Um, but yeah, it was basically that first image and also just kind of like a desire to write something for myself. Mm-hmm. After a ton of rejections in my previous books, I was disheartened and kind of pessimistic. And I was like, okay, if no one says this story and no one picks it up, either an agent or a editor, what would you want to write just for yourself? And I just threw in everything I loved. <laughs> Like the noir setting, the Greek mythology, the complicated sisterhood, the soulmate tropes. I threw in everything I liked and it became this. And it paid off. Yeah, of, of things. Yeah. Yeah. Did it you? Okay. So you saw the beginning. That was what started it. Did you know how this, like the first book would end? Did you have that all planned out or did you kind of get there as you were going? Um, I think I knew from the start who I wanted the culprit to be, like the person behind the murders. Mm-hmm. I knew who that was going to be. But then I kind of worked backwards to give this villain uh, motivation and give them a good backstory and connect them to the character and the main character's arc. and 
the story of the first book came from that. I'm not entirely sure how I came up with like the overall overall arc of the series. So the mm-hmm. uh, I think it had it had a lot to do with why is the villain doing what they are doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't say anything without spoiling. So I know, I know, just... it's so hard, yeah. especially but, because like it's such a good mystery. I want everyone to read it and like figure it out on their own. Yeah, so yes, it's a it's it has a few like wild twists in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember there was a time while my agent and I were preparing the book to go out on submission to editors, where my agent suggested I write a very short synopsis for book two. At that point, I had not much of a clue. I knew who the big villains were going to be, but I didn't know what happened or how we would okay. to the ending. But yeah. when I wrote that down, I think it solidified some things in my head. And it was good that it sold as a duology because when I went in to edit book one with this general synopsis of book two in my head, mm-hmm. I kind of incorporated things that would pay off in book two. So a lot of things that you're still, a lot of open questions that you might have mm-hmm. in book one are kind of answered and resolved in book two. Which is not an easy thing to do when I have it, it's a big world. It's yeah for hard work, but oh. I think I'm I'm satisfied with how it ends. I've written the sequel. I'm satisfied with how it ends. I was gonna ask, do you know how it ends and how many are you planning? But uh, okay, so it's a duology. Would you ever open up to like kind of spin-offs on different characters? I think because it's such a big world and so many gods in it and so many different cities and like mm-hmm. subcultures within those cities, I think it's, I'm very open to exploring the world further. At the moment, I don't have anything planned. I do mm-hmm. have, I cleverly, intentionally set up a character in book two that you haven't met yet that could, if I wanted to continue the series and see what happens I could pick up the story with them, but I have no plans as of it right now. All right. All right. Well, I I mean, I'm so thrilled that there's going to be a sequel. Um, So, oh, yay. Okay. The world is very vast and it's based around tides, like the, the flooding and everything that happens. How... I mean, I know the image of someone standing above with the water coming up, but how did you get a world that like re- regularly floods out of out of that? How how? Tell me more about your universe yeah. building. Okay, I think it came from that first image that uh, we discussed. But then I did. I love post-apocalyptic stories, and I love mm-hmm. especially eco-apocalyptic stories, so stories that center a climate disaster or something to do with nature. And um, I've always found them very interesting and wanted to write one myself. So I kind of decided that after getting that first image and did a bunch of research on climate change scenarios or climate disaster scenarios, um, I did a lot of research on migration because of um, natural disasters throughout history, which was very interesting to read about. You, we don't really know half of the things that happened. Uh, we know the wars, 
mm-hmm. but we don't love like the other disasters that have stricken humanity. And um, a, a lot of the world came out of that. A lot of the world came out of um, extreme weather conditions, climate change uh, scenarios, or like s- smaller elements that would affect a world like our own. So the, the basis became a collapse, which is an undefined disaster in the world, like a few year, year, hundred years ago, I think. Yeah. I'm not sure if I ever like name the time period, but yes, let's say a few hundred period, a few hundred years. Um, and uh, with the collapse, what prompted the collapse is the break of one moon into three. And mm-hmm. that felt very natural to create this huge ebb and flow of the tide at nighttime. And then everything came from that, the, the hybrid Chimerini, the acid storms, the neo monsoons, uh, all the different ways nature might be affected by mm-hmm. having three moons instead of one. Yeah, I, I love that. So you did a lot of research for it. How would you say a day in the life when you're working on your project looks like, do you, is it change? Does it change? Do you like do a lot of research at the front end and then like kind of burrow into writing it? Or do you do like a mix of things? What is your day in the life? Um, It's a very interesting question because I think it depends. It largely depends on my tasks for the day or for like the time period. Um, Mm -hmm. When I uh, I worked remotely, I did uh, work from home from morning to like mid afternoon, and then wrote in evenings or nights. I like a good like a, a good writing session to. Mm-hmm. I love that late night quiet feeling. But in terms of uh, research, I think with this one, I started researching a lot before I wrote because I wanted to shape the world and the cultures and um, the setting was playing a very important role in this book so I had to do a lot of research beforehand but typically I I like momentum I like going forward so I might leave um, a lot of comments for myself in brackets research this or look up that and then do the research once I'm done with like the basics of the first draft because I feel like concentrated research that can zoom out and look at the entire plot mm-hmm. might actually be more effective in terms of how deep you go into the research and how which will like sub research yeah yeah i was gonna ask do you go down rabbit holes with the research because i totally would i think it's inevitable uh but uh yeah zooming out and having like the entire plot in front of you and where you need more information and where you don't especially in a fantasy world some things you mm. can not explain ever <laughs> uh but yeah yeah it it varies my um day in life uh, varies a lot and um i'm i'm lacking that uh i don't have a routine which is bad for setting boundaries, but also good because when I decide this is writing time, I can easily sleep into like focus mode and get more things done. Mm-hmm. But generally, I should probably have a routine. 
Yeah. Everyone's different though. Um, I love asking that question just because I mean, literally everyone is so different with yeah. what they do because everyone's a different person. Um, yeah. And I mean, my hope whenever I ask authors this question is that if someone is listening that is like writing their own novel and they're just like, oh, I mean, I don't have time to do all of this today and then they they listen to one of the interviews and like but this person doesn't do that either so right, they can right. like connect with another person yeah, like, it's, yeah. it's fine everyone's process is different yes I love that in author interviews I love how relatable some of the content is do you have any authors that have you've really related to or have really inspired you uh like any any like reader and writer or creator mm-hmm. in general, I have a lot um uh lately for the past few years, my absolute favorite is uh, Naomi Novik and especially Spinning Silver and the Scholomans trilogy. I love the Scholomans trilogy so much. I think it's masterful. And um, others I love. I love uh, Margaret Owen's books. I love Amanda Joy's books. I love Lainey Taylor and Holly Black, some of like the classics of why. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Christine Kassar. There's so many. And I read very widely so there's uh, I've been discovering a lot of uh, uh, YA and adult rom-coms that I really love do great I, I love I, I love widely like I I can love anything but for the past few years it's been Naminovic do you have any any favorites yourself um so I I really love listening to V.E. Schwab talk on her Instagram, she's like constantly just talking about her day or like what's happening. And she talks to her cats all the time. Um, and I just, I find that very funny and relatable, um, especially considering she's written so many books and still has so much anxiety about it. And I'm just like, I love that. I mean, I hate that, that there's a lot of anxiety there, but I mean, it's just, it's good to know you know, it doesn't really go away. Like you have to actively work on it in order for that to do. Um, but I don't, I don't know. I mean, she's usually my, my go-to answer is V.E. Schwab just because I think she's the most prominent on my Instagrams. But I mean, I read a lot of different books too. I, I follow a lot of different authors. I mean, through the podcast, we've been able to talk to so many different people and connect with so many different people. I just, I follow all of them and I'm just like, it's so great. It's so fun. Um, so it makes it really hard for the question to be asked, like, what is, what is your all time favorite book? Um, what is your all-time favorite book? Do you I have think, one? I think this Columns. I love that trilogy. I think it's yeah. so well done. I love the the voice of the main character. It's just fantastic. I she love her. is so funny. I think she's done, like, I, I read somewhere that she didn't plan ahead, so she pantsed the whole series. And it's amazing to me that her mind could contain such a big world and such, like, a twisty world yeah discussed class dynamics and just class in general so so well within that like very famous popular like almost very widely done trope of the magical school yeah that on its head I love it I think it's masterful and I I hope to one day write a book that I am as proud of as I'm proud of here 
for producing this Call of Us trilogy. I, I, I think it's fantastic. But before, uh, I, I've loved so many. For if most of my teenage life, uh, Meg Cabot was my god. I loved her. I loved oh, her. yeah. The Princess Diaries are so good. I just, oh, the, yeah. The Mediator, All American Girl. There's so many. Mm-hmm. There's so many. Oh, yes. What, what's your absolute favorite? Or, I guess. Oh, no. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I love book recommendations. They're my favorite. So, I really love The Night Circus mm-hmm. uh, by Erin Morgenstern. It's okay. it's so good. Um, but recently, I think I have, have like put the starless sea above the night circus like it if there is a a list where it matters what order it's in i think the starless sea might come from it uh before but i've also been getting really into like romantic comedies recently and i just reread the love hypothesis it is so cute oh i love it so much i think we're Um, in the golden era of rom-coms i think it's the best they've ever been it is so good um and that and like cozy fantasies i think romance and like tj clune's books are Mm -hmm. all lovely um i really liked his newest one the lives of puppets in the lives of puppets um it i mean it took like a little bit of a detour from his other like the tone of his other books because like house in the cerulean sea and under the whispering door are very cozy and they still like deal with big issues but are aren't like a giant adventure whereas like puppets is a giant adventure and it just it moves so quick and it made me cry at the end i was like oh oh it's so good i need to read that that. yeah you've got to but yeah, I think those might be my favorite books right now, okay. which is not, I mean, it's not a small list. There's a lot of it's them. It's not very easy to read it, I think. Yeah. But yeah. Um, well, we're getting toward the end of our chat. Do you have any final thoughts? Um, uh, they can find me on most social media under at Kika Hazupulu, um, but I'm mostly active on Instagram. And I have a website and a contact email that I actually check out pretty regularly. So I'm always available if uh, people want to reach me there. Uh, it's been uh, lovely. Thank you so much. I loved all of your questions. Um, this discussion was. Oh, thank you. Thank you for being on. Um, by the time this episode comes out, I think your book will already be out. So people can find it anywhere. And I hope that they do because it's so good. We're gonna we're gonna create an army of people that are just waiting for the the sequel. Okay, okay. <laughs> no <more>. pressure. <laughs> uh, should be coming out next year around the same time, and I have oh. seen that cover, and it's amazing. It is <sighs> the best thing I've ever seen. It's amazing. It's just surreal. Oh uh, my god! Hopefully, I can share it soon. Okay, well, I will be looking out for that. Um, But thank you again so much for being on the podcast. It's been a joy. Thanks so much. Yeah, it's been lovely chatting with you. Well, we heckin' did it, y'all. Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you heard and want to support the show, share it with your other bookish friends and family members. 
And if your podcast app has ratings, please take a minute to rate and review the show. I'm off to read the next book in Lemony Snicket's A Series of Unfortunate Events for my monthly Patreon series, A Summary of Unfortunate Events, which is a middle-of-the-pool dive into the series we all know and love. And if you'd like to hear it, subscribe to our Patreon by following the link in the Novel Finds bio on Instagram, which you should totally be following if you're not already. Thanks again for being a novel friend. We'll see y'all next week. Bye.